Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm April Glazer. And I'm Will Oremus. Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We're recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, March 5th. On today's show, we'll take a look at an increasingly popular online privacy tool that has some serious trust issues of its own. I'm talking about VPNs, or virtual private networks, and why the average internet user might have a very hard time figuring out which one to trust. We'll also look at privacy blunder number one billion from our friends at Facebook. This one involves a feature to ostensibly help keep your account safer that turns out to be another good way for Facebook to keep track of you wherever you go. Mark Zuckerberg once told Congress, you own your data, but it seems that once you give Facebook your phone number, you're never getting it back. And as always, we'll end with Don't Close My Tabs, some of the best stories we saw online this week. That's all coming up on If Then. Some of you may have noticed that we've been experimenting with our format over the past few episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback on how that's been going. But just to keep the spirit of experimentation alive, we are going to be doing something a bit different this week. And I'm interviewing Will, my co-host, about a fascinating story that he published last week. I'm interviewing him because it was just such a good story. And I thought it was something that our listeners may want to explore more. Uh, It is about VPNs, virtual private networks, and let's just jump in if that's cool. Will, I'm curious if you could just start by telling us what a VPN is. Yeah, sure thing. And thanks for having me on your podcast, April. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on your podcast or having you on your podcast, Will. What is is a VPN? And I should also say the, the story is called, Do You Trust Your VPN? Are You Sure? So that gives you a bit of a clue into what we'll be talking about here, which is internet privacy. Uh, Will, what is a VPN? I know it must stand for something. That's right. And I think you already said what it stands for, but it's a virtual... Okay, never mind. It stands for virtual private network. That's right. What does that mean? (laughs) That means, and you know this better than I do, but I I appreciate you you playing naive here with the questions. Um, A VPN is a service that encrypts your internet traffic and routes it through remote servers. So uh, anytime you connect to a website, you're connecting through servers that are owned by your VPN provider, and uh, your traffic is encrypted, which means that even if people uh, could somehow get on the network, they couldn't see exactly what it is you're doing online. So VPNs are useful in a couple for a couple things. One is that they make it so that internet sites can't see your IP address. Your IP address doesn't tell people exactly who you are, but it gives them a good idea of where you're located. It's usually provided to you by your internet service provider. When you use a VPN, instead, you're getting your IP address from one of these remote servers somewhere around the world that's owned by your VPN provider. It doesn't even have to be in the country you live in. So I could be in the United States, but connecting through servers in Europe to a website, and it would think that I was in Europe instead of being in the United States. That can be good for privacy. Uh, The encryption can also be useful. So if you're at a Starbucks or some kind of public location and you're connecting to an insecure public Wi-Fi network, the fact that the VPN encrypts your traffic means that somebody can't jump on that network and sniff out what you're doing or, or somehow, you know, if you're entering your credit card number, somebody can't 
see that in unencrypted form and steal it. Um, they can't jump on the network with you. So that's another reason to use VPNs. Um, and one more reason that people use VPNs is to get around content restrictions. If you're in China, there's the great firewall. A lot of the internet is blocked off to you, but if you hop on a VPN and make it look like you're coming from someplace else, then all of a sudden you can access stuff that you would not be able to normally access from inside China. If you're in the United States and you want to do some torrenting or, or download some files or stream stuff that, that is blocked for you for some reason, VPNs can also help you out. Right. So VPNs, they uh, obfuscate where you're surfing the internet from. Got it. That's more private than if that's not obfuscated because then they can kind of tell where your IP address is or websites that you're visiting can kind of get a sense of where you are based on your IP address. You wrote that VPNs appear to be booming in popularity, which I found really interesting um, because they were always just kind of this obscure acronym of a service that uh, most people didn't quite understand even if they used one. There was one estimate that VPN usage has quadrupled worldwide in the past two years in your story. And it's becoming a huge market with companies that are being acquired and they're raising, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from venture capitalists. But yeah, I mean, VPNs have been around for as long as I can remember. Why do you think they're becoming so popular now? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that there's more and more content that people want to stream, but that is blocked off from them. Um, I've heard that people in India use VPNs to be able to, to access Netflix, for instance. Um, I mentioned China earlier. Um, but there's also just the growing awareness of online privacy and also, I think, a growing mistrust of our Internet service providers. These are companies like Comcast and Verizon. There was a, um, a law passed recently that allows those companies to uh, sell your browsing data for advertising purposes. So if you don't want them to do that, using a VPN can hide your browsing from them. Um, so it, it seems like it's kind of following in the footsteps of ad blockers, which have you know with maybe went mainstream, uh, let's say two or three years ago, and now tons of people use them. Um, VPNs are on that path. But as I discovered when I tried to figure out which VPN to use, there are a couple obstacles to, to going mainstream. Yeah, right. I mean, it's hard to know which one to trust. I mean, it was the same thing with ad blockers. Most people used ad blocker plus or ad block plus. Google bought it, which seemed really counterintuitive, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, I use a VPN. Uh, I use a VPN, you know, religiously, actually, for my reporting, especially because if I'm visiting some alt-right website or some shady website that's run by a troll, I don't want them to know that I'm poking around because after I publish that story, they may say, oh, you know, who's been visiting our site from Oakland in this specific location? And I don't want them to know where I'm coming from or to, to, to note that I'm, you know, looking at all corners of their website and where that's coming from. And so I, I just, I, I always use a VPN, you know, particularly when I'm in like a public Wi-Fi scenario, because I definitely want to protect my sources and don't want anyone to read my traffic, nor do I want my traffic to look suspicious because I'm always, you know, looking up some shady thing for whatever reporting I'm doing. And if someone was looking at my traffic, they would probably think I'm a psychopath when really I'm probably reporting on psychopaths in some way. So, you know, you, you came into this story, though, from the perspective of someone who's not like me. Uh, someone who didn't already have a VPN and you were trying to figure out which one to use and you couldn't really, or you were just like extremely confused. Um, you know, can you kind of like, describe why it was so difficult to figure out which one you could use? I mean, are there just a ton of companies out there? Is there not a more, most popular one? Is there not a recommended one? 
Yeah. So April, you're definitely more of a pro than I am when it comes to VPNs. I wanted to come into it from the perspective of this sort of average mainstream internet user who may not be totally tech savvy or privacy savvy and is just trying to figure it out because that's the kind of people that these VPNs have to appeal to and capture if they want to go really big as some of them do. And we live in an era where with so many things, even if you have no expertise, you can just get online, get on some review sites and find out sort of the the collective wisdom of what's the best mattress to buy or what's the best, uh, you know, uh, home micro, I don't know, home appliance or microwave. Mm -hmm. But with VPNs, it turns out to be really hard. There's no consensus and different review sites have totally different criteria. And accordingly, they arrive at very different conclusions. So one of the best reviewed sites on the web is, uh, sorry, one of the best reviewed providers is ExpressVPN. Um, this is a paid service. It's expensive. It's known for being fast and reliable, because one of the concerns with VPNs is that they can slow your internet connection down um, if they're not if they're not really optimized. But an issue with ExpressVPN is when you try to figure out well who runs ExpressVPN, they actually don't disclose who owns the company. It is formally incorporated in the British Virgin Islands, but they have acknowledged that that's not really where most of their employees are. They say their employers are, their employees are distributed around the world, as are their servers, and that they won't tell you who owns the company for privacy reasons. I found it fascinating because other rival VPN services are using that to suggest that ExpressVPN may not be trustworthy. So I talked to the CEO of Anchor Free, which is another one of the big companies. They own Hotspot Shield possibly the most popular VPN in part because they have a free offering. Um, And he said, hey, you know, I heard that ExpressVPN might be secretly based in China or have ties to the Chinese government. You don't want to be, you don't want the Chinese government to be uh, uh, having access to all your internet traffic, do you? Now, he's probably trolling them and maybe he's out of line for doing that, but he's pushing on a, a point of vulnerability there because when a company won't tell you who owns it, it's hard to trust them. And one of the things about VPNs is you have to really trust them because all that internet traffic that you are no longer showing to your internet service provider, like Verizon or Comcast, now you are trusting the VPN with access to all of that. And they say, the good ones say they'll delete your your information. They don't keep logs of what sites you visit. They don't you know maintain data that's tied to your identity. But how do you know? And so that's the problem with a lot of these services that are anonymously run. Right. And so, you know, you go to the app store, you look up VPN and you see all these options. And, you know, I would generally just go with the one that's the most popular. But you said that the one most the one that's most popular, you don't even know where it's based out of. Right. Yeah. They're, they're probably the Express VPN is probably the best rated on, on various review sites, especially yeah, I would just go with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but no. The, so the most popular that then you run into a different conundrum. So the most popular mm. free VPN is Hotspot Shield. That's run by Anchor Free. Um, that's the company whose CEO I mentioned was was throwing shade at Express VPN. Um, but the problem there is whenever you use a free VPN, um, the company that provides it may not have a business interest in, you know, in, in really keeping your data safe and private. They, in fact, many free B- VPNs will target you with ads as you're using the VPN. So um, Hotspot Shield for Android still targets you for ads, although they say that they do it only with generic ads. Um, 
targets is probably the wrong word. So that word. means they're collecting your data? They say they do not collect your data. Then well, how are they? T- <laughs> but the targeting implies data collection. Right. So I used the wrong word there. They're, they are placing um, what they say are generic Google ads um, okay. on the on, on the service ads. while you use uh-huh. the VPN. Um, they say it's that they're weird, not though, targeted. It's a privacy service, right. but I guess that's how it's free, right? Well, exactly. So, so a lot of okay. experts will advise you to stay away from the free ones, and and you know if you really want a VPN for privacy reasons, use one that you have to pay for. Um, so, all right. So the most popular one is out. The cheapest one is out. The the expensive, well reviewed one has its issues with anonymity. So it's like you know who do you turn to at that point? And then one more twist is that if you talk to ExpressVPN or, or other VPNs that are anonymous, they'll say, actually, that's a virtue. And you don't want to go with a company that's based in the United States or a company you know, where all their principals and employees are, are well-known or easily discoverable because then you run into issues like um, that you know, if they're in the United States, the NSA, you know, maybe comes calling and, and says, "Hey, help us out. We need to find you know, we need to find somebody." Or um, you know, maybe a, a government overseas knows who to apply pressure to to try to get the information, um, or tries to get them to store data on certain people. So their claim is that anonymity is actually a virtue. I'm not sure I, I totally buy it, but certainly if you're going to do stuff that's breaking the laws of the country you live in, then there is good reason to maybe go with a company that's not going to be subject to the jurisdiction of, of that country. Yeah, I just don't know if I buy it because they should just be deleting that data, right? Or not collecting data. And yes, they can't really be compelled to collect on somebody. They can be compelled to give up something that they already have. Right. And so all the good VPNs now, especially the ones that you pay for, I mean, just stay away from the free ones altogether. That's one clear cut takeaway. There was a study recently that found actually 10 of the top 20 free VPNs on the Android and iOS app stores were uh, based in China. And that is suspicious because China has banned VPNs officially. So if China is letting these free VPNs operate, that raises the question of what's in it for China. Just better to steer clear in those cases. But when we're talking about the paid VPNs, the, the relatively reputable ones, yeah, they, all the good ones say they don't keep logs of your data or your traffic, but it's hard to know, right? Like, how do we know they don't have it somewhere? Um, you know, there are performance and usability reasons why a company might want to store that data. They have to get a little creative if they want to run a really good service without storing any data. Um, one point in ExpressVPN's favor is, again, I said it's hard to know whether these companies really are storing logs or not. Well, there was a famous incident in 2017 where uh, the Russian ambassador to Turkey was assassinated. He was shot and killed on live video at an art opening. You might remember news coverage of it. Um, his name was Andrei Karlov. Um, and in the investigation, the Turkish government was trying to connect him to the U.S.-based cleric Fethullah Gulen. Um, they... Uh, Long story short, they they discovered that ExpressVPN was probably being used for encrypted communication in whatever conspiracy was going on behind this assassination. They managed to track down ExpressVPN servers and seize them, open them up, and there was no data. There were no logs. So ExpressVPN mm. was revealed to be telling the truth um, about not storing the data. And now that kind of 
earned it credibility, even though, you know, you might not think it's a good thing that they potentially helped an international conspira- conspiracy to assassinate somebody. But it's it's definitely like a, a mark in their favor if you're if you're asking whether they really do uh, delete these logs. The whole thing just feels murky. I'll just let people know what I use, and then I'm curious what you landed on. I ended up uh, using, uh, due to the advice of um, some security professionals that I work with professionally, um, uh, called Private Internet Access, if you've been called Private Internet Access, that you have to pay for. Um, But it's super not expensive, and it is super easy to use. You just kind of install it and then turn it on when you want to use it and turn it off when you don't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what, what did you end up using, Will? Or are you not using one now? Are you just like, whatever? <laughs> no, I am. So I, I did leave it open-ended in the story because mm-hmm. I wanted the point to be that this isn't easy, right? It's The mm-hmm. point isn't that eventually you can figure out a, a company you trust. The point for me was the average user is, it's, it's not, it's not, we're not at the point yet when it's, where it's easy for them to trust somebody. Um, that said, I, you know, I've heard great things about private internet access, um, I ended up uh, downloading TunnelBear, which was uh, a popular VPN that was acquired by the security giant McAfee a couple years ago. They have very comprehensive and clear privacy policies. Um, they do offer a free version if you want to get started. It, started. it doesn't have ads. It's basically just an, you know a, a freemium sort of advertisement for their paid service. But uh, that's who I ended up going with. I can't say I'm 100% confident, but uh, I felt more comfortable with them than I did with some others. I think people should use the VPN. Do your homework. It's hard to do homework. Listen to our podcast. Hopefully that'll help. Uh, And hopefully our recommendations will help too. And just one quick caveat, ExpressVPN, which we mentioned in the show, has advertised on this show in the past. Now, of course, we don't control who advertises on the show. We are the hosts, but uh, we thought we should let you guys know that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll talk about another privacy story this week involving Facebook and two-factor authentication. Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There was also a bit of a kerfuffle surprise with Facebook privacy. Uh, I saw on Twitter this tweet that went super, super viral and that a lot of people were kind of expanding on was that if you give your phone number to Twitter for, or not Twitter, I'm sorry, Facebook uh, for two-factor authentication, which means um, after you uh, log in, it then asks you to confirm who you are by uh, texting you, assuming that you're the only person that has access to your phone number. And then you put that, uh, you put that, um, or that has access to a phone that receives calls from that number, you put the number that they text you in, and then uh, it's definitely, definitely you, supposedly. Um, people who volunteer their phone number for that extra level of privacy, which is generally recommended for people to, to have on all accounts where it's offered, um, just because if you are hacked, people don't have access to your phone, so they can't get in. Um, it turns out that Facebook was using those phone numbers that people offered for that extra level of privacy um, for things that were privacy invasive. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Well, can you, can you break down in brief what, uh, what the, the drama there was? 
Yeah, so this is a sort of a privacy scandal that's been unfolding in slow motion and sort of out of the public eye for the most part. But about a year ago, um, some Facebook users noticed that they started getting notifications on their phone from Facebook, even if they hadn't attached their phone number to their Facebook account. And they found out that it was when they entered their phone number for two-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. uh, That's how Facebook got their phone number. Now, when you do that, the expectation is they're only going to use this for two-factor authentication. They're not going to suddenly tie it to your account and do other stuff with it, but clearly they were. So Facebook apologized, but then it came out a few months later that, in fact, Facebook had been letting advertisers target you with the help of these phone numbers that you had uploaded for security purposes. And now the latest is uh, there was a, a, a Twitter user... It's actually the, his title is Chief Emoji Officer at the company Emojipedia. Mm. It's a very 2019 job title. <laughs> Chief Emoji Officer, yeah, he wins. Okay. <laughs> um, he, found, um, he found that uh, Facebook um, has a setting that asks who can see, who can look you up based on the phone number you provided. And you can't opt out. Like your options are everybody, which I think is the default. <sighs> or friends of friends, or friends, but now that you've uploaded that phone number for security purposes, you cannot opt out of Facebook letting people look you up based on that phone number. Mm -hmm. And privacy advocates are just really peeved. Security advocates are peeved too, because here's a case where Facebook's sort of playing off your your desire for security with two-factor authentication against your desire for privacy. And it just undermines trust more generally in the whole system of two-factor authentication, because if you can't trust that companies aren't going to abuse your phone number when you provide it, um, you know, the, you can't trust that they're not going to hand it out to advertisers or sell it on the black market or mm-hmm. God knows what, mm-hmm. then people are going to stop doing two-factor authentication. And then we've got a security issue, like more broadly on our hands, because that's 2FA is, is the best, sort of the single simplest step you can do to keep from getting your accounts hacked. Ugh, bummer. Okay, so don't throw your hands up in the air. <laughs> Keep well, th- doing there what you can thing, to protect your privacy. Yeah. Right. There is one thing you can do. So it, on, on Facebook and Google and some other services, you can do two-factor authentication not with text messages, not with your phone number, but through a special app you download on your phone. That's now the recommended way to do it. But it, it's a little complicated for most people, and not all services offer, to, offer that option certainly too late if you already gave Facebook your phone number. They've said, ah, we've, we've got them now. We're going to use them. But uh, at least in the future, you can try to see if there's an option to use an app for two-factor authentication instead of using your phone. Okay. Well, I hope some people have a little peace of mind or at least are a little more knowledgeable. Thank you so much, Will. I'm glad you could join us on your podcast. Thanks, April. <laughs> One final quick break, and then don't close my tabs. Some of the best things we've seen on the web this week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Will, since you're on the line already, let's do tabs together. Um, What tab could you not close this week? All right, I'm going to do a fun one this week. My tab Mm. is a, a new Instagram comic strip. Um, the author I've never heard of before is named Nathan W. Pyle. He uh, advertised it on Twitter and shared some of the strips on there. So you can find it at his Twitter account, which is Nathan W. Pyle, that's P-Y-L-E. Or you can find it on Instagram at Nathan W. Pyle Strange Planet, all one word, kind of unwieldy. But um, Strange Planet is the name of the strip. It's going to be hard to convey the humor of it uh, just by talking about it. You're probably better off looking at it if you're interested. But basically the, the conceit is that in each strip you see aliens on a presumably alien planet, but they're doing very... Uh, mundane human activities, but talking about them in uh, in like sort of robotic terms, and it's just meant to convey like the weirdness of various social customs. So, uh, like in one strip, the alien checks his watch and says, "Friends arriving soon. Let us store irregular shapes inside shapes with flat surfaces." Um, and uh, the friends arrive and say, "Your home is beautiful." And then the alien says, "Thank you. We own things, but have hidden them." Mm. Um, which I just thought, like in a time of Marie Kondo, is just funny to to reconsider tidying up as storing irregular shapes inside shapes with flat surfaces, which I guess is basically what we do when we clean up, so that no one knows that we have stuff and crap in our house. Um, anyway, that's my tab this week. How about you, April? Okay, so my tab, tabs, tab, <laughs> uh, is uh, a diss on a headline from the New York Times, with all due respect, usually a fantastic uh, reporter and editing team there. They had a headline, Google moves to address wage equity and finds it's underpaying many men. Uh, other outlets also kind of focused on uh, that. Uh, but what the, the story is about is uh, Google released its some points or said that it finished its, its annual kind of equity report. Uh, it turns out that uh, in one category, in one level of employee, uh, it found Google found that uh, men were getting underpaid. It chose to just share that one detail selectively in a blog post on Monday. Um, but uh, it turns out that that was kind of a shallow reading of the situation because Google looks at this whole like how it, it equally it pays people uh, within certain job categories, but doesn't look at how people are assigned into those job categories, which has uh, been described by uh, former employees there as uh, sexist. In other words, 
um, you know, women uh, and and people of color kind of uh, also so then racist as well, systemically getting placed into positions where they're going to be um, paid less, even if they have the same level of experience as men who then get placed in higher positions. Uh, there was a better report on this that I recommend from the wonderful Natasha Tiku, who we've had on the show before, and Wired entitled, Are Men at Google Paid Less Than Women? Not really. She does a fantastic job of kind of breaking down the report a bit better. And I recommend people read that story instead if you see the very clicky headline uh, or headlines that talk about um, how uh, Google found that it's underpaying men, which is true, but uh, but that's not jump to conclusions here. Yeah, kind of misses the bigger picture. Thanks for highlighting that, April. Yeah, it's just an interesting bit of media criticism. And with respect for all of these reporters involved, because we all publish so much you're inevitably going to get a headline a bit off. So I I get it. All right, that's our show. You can get updates about what's coming up by following us on Twitter at IfThenPod. You can also email us at ifthen at slate.com. Send us your tech questions, show and guest suggestions, or just say hello. You can follow me and Will on Twitter as well. I'm at April Laser, and Will is at Will Arimus. And thanks to everyone who has left us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen. We really appreciate your time. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you want more of Slate's tech coverage, sign up for the Future Tense newsletter. Every week, you'll get news and commentary on how tech advances are changing the world in ways small and large. Sign up at slate.com slash future news. Our producer is Max Jacobs, and this is the last show he's working with us on, and I just want to say a sincere, heartfelt goodbye and thank you and congratulations for what's next. Max is enormously talented, patient, and wise, and our show just would not exist without him.